Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. On a mission to bring the benefits of sport to kids everywhere, they go beyond technology to provide leaders with professional development and relationship building, and to work with sports-based organizations to address issues of accessibility and equality. To learn more, find them at League Apps com or as league apps on all of the social networks now here's the host of the show longtime soccer broadcaster and voice of united soccer coaches dean linky in what has to be one of the busiest times in soccer in our country with the start of all the professional leagues continued discussions about the 21st century model this entire show really is dedicated to high school soccer in some form or fashion we kick off the show with a great visit with Harut Akopian, a longtime member of the association, someone who's involved in the high school awards part of the association. He's an at-large board member with the association. He already has his undergrad and his master's, and he's now getting his PhD from Vanderbilt in leading and learning organizations. He has created an incredible presentation on culture and climate, and he's already been booked by the new CEO of United Soccer Coaches, Jeff Van Dusen, to present on climate and culture at the convention next January in Philadelphia. We kick off the show with Harut Hakopian, a man who's worked behind the scenes as the awards chair for quite some time for United Soccer Coaches, is John Mayer, another great high school coach who now calls Florida home. He's retired, but he's still involved, including in the Tampa area where he knows Jim Hart, a coach in that area for more than 40 years, as well as David Wilson, who is still coaching and getting it done at the high school level, where he's also an AD and coaches other sports. In Tampa, they've created the Tampa Top 10 and a Champions League in the high school area with all seven divisions in that Tampa area, a Champions League where they crown a champion. This will be the fifth year for the boys, the first year for the girls. They have special awards within the Champions League. They are looking to build on it, adding a Hall of Fame and so much more. Harut Hakopian kicks off the show, then Jim Hart and David Wilson, courtesy of John Mayer, are also on the show. High school soccer, the main topic, and it starts after this message from our presenting sponsor, League Apps. We bet you didn't get into this business for the back office duties. That's why we created League Apps, the industry's leading youth sports management platform. So you can spend less time with busy work and more time doing what you love. League Apps provides organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps. Once again, here's the host of the show, Dean Linky. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. I am joined by one of my all-time favorite members of United Soccer Coaches, Harut Hakopian. 22 years he has been with the association. 
He has been the longtime national chair of the High School Scholar All-America Committee. He's been an at-large member on the United Soccer Coaches Board for three-plus years. He is entering his 30th year as the head coach for Churchill High School in Potomac, Maryland, where he's also part of the Potomac Soccer Club after several great years with the Bethesda Soccer Club. Harut Hakopian, he is a guy that brings a smile to everybody's face if you meet him, but he also is a guy that is fully engaged, and that means engaged in getting further education. He is oh so close to getting his doctoral degree from Vanderbilt, not a slouch school at all, in leadership and learning in organizations. And off of that, he is already locked in a spot to present on climate and culture, two big words that we hear all the time. Really, Harut, when I think about leading and learning in organizations, and I think about climate and culture, and I think about expanded education, you've got it all going on right now, my man. Thank you so much. I appreciate the warm welcome. It's great to be here with you. We've known each other for such a long time, from the time you were presenting at the Summer Symposium down in Florida, to all the different interactions that we've had. So I really appreciate being on here with you and talking about these things. Really excited about finishing up the Dr. Legree at Vanderbilt. I think that'll have a lot of analogies for the work that I'm doing with different organizations to bring that to the forefront with United Soccer. Really excited to be here and talk to you about all this and obviously to present in Philadelphia after I officially become Dr. Hakopian. Yeah, I can't wait. It will be Dr. Harut Hakopian in July. You just heard me talk about the fact that 30 years you've been coaching at Churchill High School in Potomac. You've been a youth soccer coach that entire time. You've been an established and involved member, including being on the at-large committee and playing such a key role in the Scholar All-Americans as well. So a lot of people would say, hey, I'm good with that. But you said, no, I want to get my doctorate from Vanderbilt. What made you wake up one day and say, I need this? A lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about today has been a part of our organization for a very long time. We've been talking about culture and climate. And one of the first coaching courses when I did my national diploma, and I'm aging myself here in 1998, 1999, I remember Anton Dorrance speaking at that national diploma course. And he stood up in front of all the coaches at one of the welcomes. And he said, They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Going through all the different coaching courses, I was incredibly fortunate to be able to meet the late and great Tony DeChico and Dr. Colleen Hacker, some of the other courses that I went to, and try to get my hands on reading and and finding out about all the things they were doing. And of course, Dr. Hacker was longtime sports psychologist for the U.S. Women's National Team. And Tony DeChico, obviously, his resume speaks for itself. I don't need to go into how great he was. I read their book, Catch Them Being Good, and read a lot of what Anson had published. And little by little, there was this convergence of information about how we build culture and the things that build climate and culture and the difference between those two. And as I was coming to my coaching and teaching career, I've been doing both for 30 years now, I started seeing connecting threads between a lot of the stuff that happens in the teaching world and a lot of stuff that happens in the coaching world. And right during that time, I was looking to further my education and further my knowledge instead of just experiential and the things that I had done and the things that I had experienced, look into how can I get into deep scholarship about these things? How can I find out about more about these connecting threads that I've identified 
between all these different people that I've been fortunate enough to interact with. Deep research, peer-reviewed research, which is the you know gold standard at the academic level. And when I started doing that, again, a lot of the things that all these greats of our game and greats of our organization were saying started converging into ideas that I could actually do research on. And in that research, I ran across, and again, these two names are very familiar to people that have read these things, Dr. Brene Brown's research and publications on vulnerability and trust, and eventually, most recently, Dan Coyle's work on the culture code. He also wrote the Talon code a few years ago, which I had also read. I started finding kernels of what Tony DeChico, Dr. Colleen Hacker, and Anton Dorrance had said. And now they were justified and fortified with reams of research that reinforced what those people had been talking about. And the more I dug into it, the more I found out that a lot of the things that we do naturally as coaches does build culture and climate. But a lot of the things that we were taught, especially if you've been coaching for a while, actually takes away from that climate and that culture. One of the biggest eye-opening moments for me is when I started doing this research and ran into the information from Dave Cooper, who was the command master chief, who's now retired, of SEAL Team 6. And again, everyone knows, but just to reiterate, SEAL Team 6 was the team that was responsible for identifying and eventually hunting down Osama bin Laden. When I started reading his work, it was fascinating because he talked about, and he's featured very prominently in that book, Culture Code, where he started talking about how some of the most important words, the four most important words a leader can say is I screwed that up and how a leader main responsibility is to build culture and climate from the ground up, which means you wanna leave the responsibility of how things go and identification of mistakes to the people you are leading. It can't come from the leader. If it's just from the leader, it's not going to be as effective. And that struck a chord with me because as coaches, as soccer coaches, every single one of us, no matter what level you are coaching at, is looking for players that can solve problems, is looking for players that can lead by example and through other things, is looking for players that can identify what's going on and make changes on the fly. And that clicked for me. When I read his work and I read Culture Code, it finally dawned on me that, okay, this is something that we need to focus on and we need to make sure we're building both of these things accurately and making sure we are not doing anything to pull away from the culture and the climate that we've worked so hard to build. So if I'm hearing you correctly, you had these real life experiences with Anson, with Dr. Hacker, with Tony DeChico, and then along the way, as part of your expanded education at Vanderbilt, as you're getting this doctoral degree in leading and learning in organizations, you kind of put it all together with a whole variety of different research bases to create this climate and culture. So before we get into that, which you are now going to be a featured presenter in Philadelphia, when did the light go on where you were able to say, wow, I've got this and I want people to hear me talk about it in Philadelphia. Talk about that light. We've joked around about this a lot. And as a teacher and a coach, if you want to be good at what you do, you kind of have to be a good thief. You have to sort of look at 
lots of other experts and try to pick and choose because a lot of this is contextually based. You can't just assume that you can take the things that Anson does and bring them to your high school and bring them to your club and they're going to magically work. You have to be able to read the players and the people you're working with, coaches as well as players and student athletes and things of that nature. And when the light bulb went off for me is when I started looking at, okay, I'm doing some of these things. Can I do more? What else can I do? And I am taking some of the ideas from some of the best coaches in the country and finding as much information as I can. Once I put those into practice and they don't work, what now? How do I adjust? How do I go from, all right, I tried this thing and it didn't work. What do I do next? One of the big things at Vanderbilt that they teach us over and over again is a line. A system is designed to get the exact results that it gets. So if you're getting the results, there's something with the system that is either going incredibly well or is not going well if you're not happy with the results. So how do you identify those things and how do you say, okay, this is working, this isn't. What do we get rid of? What do we add? And as a coach for such a long time, we are very reluctant to delete and get rid of anything and admit that it doesn't work. Again, going back to what Dave Cooper said, standing up in front of your players and saying, I screwed that up. That doesn't work. And then following up with, and this is what I've done in the last two years with this program at Vanderbilt that's been having great return, is looking at my players and saying, okay, I did this. It didn't work. What do you think? One of the things that we talk about at Vanderbilt a lot is the idea that we have all these sources of information from the people that we lead that we don't always use. Because you're the leader and you're very reluctant to say, you know what? I don't know. What do you think? And as a coach, especially when you're leading young men and women, that's a scary thing to do. That's really, really difficult to stand up in front of 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 year old young people that are looking for you to lead them in a particular direction and stopping and taking a step back and saying, hey, I messed this one up. This was the decision I made. How would you all have done it? That doesn't mean you're always going to take their advice. It just means that you are now leveraging this intellect, leveraging even a perspective that you might not have. I'm on the sideline and I'm not seeing what the center mid and a goalkeeper and the outside back are seeing. I'm seeing it from my perspective. And if I ask them, what do you think? That gives them ownership and it gives them leadership training. And then again, one of the biggest things when I served in the military we always had leaders that would stand up in front of us and say, my job as a leader is to make myself obsolete. And that fascinates me because that's a lot of what we talk about at the Vanderbilt program as well. If you are a good leader, people are bringing things to you and saying, hey, why don't we do this? Why don't we do this? You don't always have to take it. You're ultimately making the decision. But that's what's happened to me in this program and the light bulb that went off. There's a lot of resources and a lot of intelligence and a lot of intellect that I'm not leveraging from the people I'm leading. And yes, they're young. And yes, they might say things that make absolutely no sense. That doesn't mean that I don't continually ask because at some point you're gonna to get to these kernels of truth that are gonna make you a better coach and a better leader. Back with more Harut Hakopian after this message. Performance analysis is now recognized as having a crucial role to play in any coaching program. The United Soccer Coaches Performance Analysis Level One Special Topics Diploma will provide coaches with real-world examples of how analysis is being used to enhance the individual player development process and maximize team performance. 
Additionally, successful candidates will achieve level one accreditation as an applied performance analyst from the International Society of Performance Analysis of Sport. Register now by visiting the master course schedule on unitedsoccercoaches.org. Harut Hakopian, longtime member of United Soccer Coaches, formerly NSCAA, just a couple months from becoming a doctor. He will present at Philadelphia at the convention. He will be presenting about building culture, creating culture, and climate at any level. He's already talked about a lot of the authors. Just one more question before we truly dive in. We kind of touched on it earlier. I just need a short soundbite. But when you are officially named a doctor, what will that mean to you and your family? I am a first-generation college student. My parents moved here from Iran right around the time where the revolution was going on, right before the Iranian hostage crisis that lasted for over 440 days. And my parents sort of saw that coming and were brilliant enough. At the time, I was too young to understand what they were doing. But they were brilliant enough to understand that it was time for us to leave Iran and it wasn't going to end up the way that we thought because they wanted us to be college educated. They wanted us to, as all parents do for their children, want the kids to do better than the parents. So they moved to the United States. So I'm a first generation college student. I have my bachelor's, my master's, and now my doctorate degree. Unfortunately, my father passed away a few years ago. So he won't be around to enjoy the fruits of his labor and how hard he worked to get me to this point. But my mom is, and I can't begin to explain what that means to them and to my mother, especially to be able to have a doctorate for moving to this country without us speaking a lick of English. My mother didn't speak English. My father didn't. Clearly, the children didn't either. The irony of becoming an AP English teacher when English is my third language is never lost on me. It was all as a result of all their hard work and all their effort and giving up incredibly lucrative jobs and working in very hard manual labor positions to be able to allow my sister and I to have the opportunity that we have and to get me to the point where I can get a doctorate from Vanderbilt University. I can't imagine a happier moment for me and my family than that. And also get you to a point where you will be a featured presenter January in Philadelphia, creating culture and climate. Let's dive into that. And one of the things you already said that you were taught early on by some influential people, don't be afraid to be a thief as you're sharing education. That's one of the great things about United Soccer Coaches. Everybody is kind of an open book. And as we dive in and you decide, I'm going to go ahead and call you doctor now anyway, because it's so <laughs> close. Uh, you decide, doctor, how much you want to share as you build up excitement. But I think the more you share, the more people will get excited. But right away on the first page of Building Culture and Climate, you tip the hat to four of the books that you mentioned. Daniel Coy's The Culture Cold, Anson Dorn's The Vision of a Champion, Brene Brown's There's No Courage Without Vulnerability. And as you already mentioned, Dr. Colleen Hacker and Tony DeChico's catch them being good. So right off the bat, you tip your hat to people that helped you learn more about culture and climate. If it's not for those people, and especially, especially Anson Dorrance and Tony DeChico and Dr. Colleen Hacker, because they've been talking about these things for a very long time. And if you know anything about what Dr. Colleen Hacker and Tony DeChico, Anson Dorrance, especially at UNC and the other two with the U.S. Women's National Team, it is all about climate and culture. And this is one of the things that we talk about a lot, especially with younger coaches when I do some of the coaching courses here in our area. A lot of times when we discuss these things, people automatically assume that vulnerability and building climate and building culture are somehow psychologically soft. And I joke around with people about that all the time because I experience this type of culture building in the military. And as I mentioned, the leader of SEAL Team 6, 
agrees with all these things and is prominently mentioned in Dan Coyle's book about building culture, the culture code. And I challenge anyone to walk up to a member of a SEAL team and tell them that they're psychologically soft, that they are somehow, because of this, these ideas between vulnerability and about climate and culture, it's not about softness. It's about building resiliency and it's about doing the things that create people that will do anything for the culture that they've been placed in. That's been the guiding light for me, that the more that you do to establish this, the more people will do anything for that program. And all of us have been parts of organizations like that before, United Soccer being one of them. The reason why I volunteer so much for United Soccer, the reason why I do all these different things that are essentially voluntary is because of how much we care for the organization, because of the culture and the things that this organization has built for us. We can do that at the team level. And once we do that, we will create players that will literally do anything to make sure that that culture and that climate continues and is successful. So we already know you're gonna open with those four books. You're gonna include the message from the retired SEAL Team 6 Command Master Chief, Dave Cooper, where he says the four most important words a leader can say is quote, I screwed that up. Already, though, early on in your presentation, you say, if you forget everything else I tell you today, remember two things. What are those two things, Haroot? The most important thing is that climate and culture are built from the ground up. And I know that seems like sort of academic mumbo jumbo, but it means it's not you. You are at the top of whatever organization you are leading. If you're a coach, you're at the top of that coaching, the triangle starting from your players, leading up to all the parents, and you're at the tip of it. It's important to understand that culture and climate come from the bottom up, and that means that it's dependent on your players and everyone involved with your team culture. At the college level, there are so many people that have a hand in making the team successful. So obviously, there are more people involved there, but still, the coach is at the tip of that culture and climate on a daily basis. So it's really important that we continually focus on the fact from the ground up, which means player's perspective on up. The other part, and this is the part that goes back into making sure we don't think this is somehow and in, in some way equated with softness, it is not. The psychological safety leads to a sense of belonging. And that is what my doctorate, my dissertation is about creating a sense of belonging, and that creates trust and it creates intrinsic motivation. All of those things are completely local. And what I mean by that, you can have a student athlete that has all of those things in the classroom, in their family, everywhere else. And if they walk onto the field and they don't have that with you, within those lines when you're training or when they're playing for you, it's not going to work. Your culture and your climate are not going to work. So it's important to understand that locality of it and the proximity of it because it changes. They might have psychological safety. They might be someone who's viewed really highly by their peers. But if you're taking away from that when they come to you, then the culture and climate are not going to be as successful as they could be that if you're adding to that psychological safety. And again, psychological safety does not mean being soft, does not mean you're never demanding of your players, does not mean even that sometimes you don't raise your voice at them. It just means that at the end of the day, they have to understand what you're doing, why you're doing it, and how you're doing it. And then that keeps feeding that loop of building a better climate and a better culture. The word climate, I do not want you to give away your entire presentation, <laughs> but you do have six bullet points on climate. I simply want you to list those to get all of our members thinking about them. 
climate, it can shift literally day to day sometimes, especially if you deal with teenagers, hour to hour. Climate is an atmosphere. It tends to be temporary and it shifts very quickly with emotions. It could last for months, depending on what happens, or it can last for an hour. It is very dependent on internal and especially external factors. So a lot of times something that happens to a student while they're in class in college, something that happens with a family member when students are in high school or in club, can have a significant impact on your climate. It is significantly easier to change the climate of the team than to change the culture of the team. And the climate is highly dependent on the coach and the leaders of the team. So the last two ones are really important, that climate is easy to change and it's dependent on the leaders and the coach. And the Cliff Notes version on the leader's role as it relates to climate. One of the biggest things we do, and again, going back to the title of Dr. Hacker and Tony DeChico's book, Catch Them Being Good. We are very, very quick because it's sort of emotional. We're just as emotional as some of our players, especially during games. We're very quick to criticize loudly and in public, but not as quick, as they say in the book, to catch them being good. So one of the things that I've started practicing is we praise goals, we praise a great save by the goalkeeper, but little things that lead to success like a player of mine making a really quick turn and distributing the ball really well, even if that distribution didn't get anywhere. I've made it a point to remind myself to scream and praise that. So that builds a culture where the athlete is getting to the point as, hey, Harut just three times in that game, even though we didn't score, we didn't do anything out of it, praised me for this thing that we've been training on for the last week, quick decision-making and distribution. You're sending that message. You're sending that the climate, I have high expectations for you. I will criticize and I will critique, but I will also praise very loudly so everyone can hear it, even if they don't understand what I'm praising because they weren't at the training session, but the player does. And like I said, the climate is based on the player's emotions and the player's reactions to the environment. So it's important to build that up. So as we move to culture, you also have bullet points and you talk about how culture is manifested. I'd like you to hit on that, please. Culture is sort of, if you want to think about it, and all of us have, have said this before in one way, shape or form, that it's the way we do things around here. And literally that quote, it's an expectation. Coaches have it, especially at the levels at which we coach college, high school, club, where there is some turnover, obviously. Some places turnover is higher than others, but there's always a turnover. So you always want the culture to be passed down from one group of student athletes to the other. So it's an organizational personality. If someone was saying, this is our culture and defining who you are and what you are, this is what they would say about you. And there's a set of unwritten rules and codes that people talk about all the time. In baseball, people talk about when a pitcher throws at a batter and then the team's batter who, who was thrown at will retaliate. That's an unwritten rule. That's not written anywhere. And the culture of baseball establishes that. Your climate and what you do on a regular basis establishes these unwritten rules and establishes the personality of your team, of your culture. And they're manifested through language, symbols, traditions, rituals, and norms. The more dependent on the leader these things are, the less effective they are because you don't want it to be you saying, this is what we do. You want the players to live, this is what we do. You want them to show everyone, this is what we do, rather than just saying it. Save some for Philadelphia, but just <laughs> a quick nugget, a quick nugget on these five 
leader's role as part of culture language we'll start with that's one of the most important ones and honestly if you as a coach can work on doing that you're well on your way you're doing a lot of the work our language is really really important for example i have a natural sarcastic sense of humor in group settings with my team everybody understands that but individually you don't want to be sarcastic because sometimes that comes across the wrong way not to the person that it's directed towards, but the people hearing it. If there's an athlete on the field and I say something sarcastic because I know that athlete wouldn't take it personally, but the players on the bench just heard me say that. How are they evaluating it? And again, climate is built daily and hourly. If you keep repeating those things and keep repeating your language, then what that does is it it's taking away from your culture, even if it's unintentional. So what we do with my teams is we have language that everybody understands and it's repeated so often, I don't even have to say it anymore. For example, and you can create anything that can be sports specific or not sports specific. One of the things that I always yell at my players when, when they make a mistake, do the next best thing. Let's not worry about what just happened. The mistake that just happened, we can't do anything about. So do the next best thing. One of my proudest moments is when I hear my players yell that. I don't even have to yell it anymore. Now, I've, through that language, I've created a situation where they're reinforcing resilience in each other and not worrying about the mistake. And every single coach I have ever had, every single coach I've ever known always talks about, let's not worry about the mistake. Let's worry about what happens. That's a lot of words. Do the next best thing is saying that and you can get your players to repeat it. And now you're, that language is building the climate and building the culture. Symbols. This is big with my high school team. I will be the first one to admit that I'm very privileged by coaching at Churchill High School because we have the sort of ability and the resources to be able to build some of these symbols. But it's so, so simple. Create something that is for your team only and only your team knows what it is and no one else does. And create... um ritual and create a ceremony even where when the players make the team you tell them what the symbol is what it stands for and what it means to everyone else and that becomes again that repetitive thing where it can be passed down from generation of generation of generation to players and i'll use our symbol and i'll speak more about this in philadelphia our symbol is p the letter p cubed with a three at, at the end of it and that symbol started with me meeting with my players in 2009 and saying, we need to create something that's just for us. So when you make the Churchill High School varsity girls soccer team, you become privy to this information. And this is only ours. And it's only the people in that locker room and in that team that know what it means. And we are going to dedicate ourselves to making sure that we live the tenets of this symbol. And one of the most heartwarming stories, I just told this in our banquet this past year, there was a player that graduated in 2009, one of the best players I've ever coached. In 18 games, she scored 26 goals and had 18 assists, led us to the regional championship, the first one ever in our school's history. She is now a dentist. She was flying to go to a conference, and she was sitting at Dulles Airport. Out of the corner of her eye, she catches a young teenager, 16, 17 year, years old, that has P3 on the back of her shirt. This player goes up to the player who's wearing the P3 on the back of her shirt and says, hey, you play for H. That's what all my players call me. They just call me H. 
They're like, you play for H at Churchill High School. And the younger player at first looks up and goes, yeah, how do you know H? And these people that are separated by almost more than a decade in age, more than probably 10, 12 years in playing time, sat down and talked to each other about their memories of playing at Churchill High School, even though they were separated by more than a decade. And that symbol is what connected the two of them. So they would have never met in any other way, but that symbol connected them. And now they had a shared moment where they could talk about the same stuff and the fitness that we go through and what we do as a team. Some of the traditions that the player from 2009 started that the player from 2020 was still doing and being able to find out the inception of that tradition. And that was all related to that symbol that now everyone recognizes no matter where they are. And I joke around about it being the best kept secret among teenage girls. The girls guard that like literally to the death. We've had players that have been cut from the team. They made it as a junior, sorry, they made it as sophomores, cut from the team as juniors that haven't given away what P3 means. We've created that symbol as a way that's just for the team, nobody else. And it's a privilege to be on the team. And that privilege comes with sharing what that symbol means and sharing it with anyone who's ever gone through our program. Then there's traditions, rituals, and norms. Hit all three. The traditions are just team breakfasts, our community outreach, decorating our team room, our locker room before games. We have a huge whiteboard in the room that's obviously used for coaching points and things like that. After I'm done giving my sort of quick pregame to the players, the players decorate it for every single game and they draw all over it and they have these little inside jokes. They create it for every single game and then they take a picture of it. And at the end of the year, we have sort of a compilation of all the different whiteboard drawings that the girls have done throughout the course of the year. Rituals, fitness is a ritual for us. One of the things I always talk about, this is another one that that has been recent for me. I started making fitness a team thing rather than an individual thing. So obviously the individuals have to be in shape, but I've always done individual fitness testing in the first couple of days of tryouts. And I still do. Once the team has been selected, I make fitness a team thing. So if we're doing man use and I expect the players to be at level 16 or 17 or whatever level is appropriate for that year. Instead of saying each individual player has to be at level 16 or 17, I create a goal for the 20 to 22 players and the team as a whole has to be at that level. And what that does is it gets the players who are at the lower end of the fitness scale to work harder because they don't want to disappoint their teammates. And the players at the higher end of the fitness scale, they're like, yeah, I can make 17 but why don't I make 21 or 20 so I can help the players that might not necessarily be as good in that particular fitness session that we're doing. So it becomes this ritual of, again, this entire team thing, rather than I made 17, I don't have to worry about anybody else. And then the ceremonies, one of the things that I do with my high school team is when we tell the girls that make the team each year about what P3 means, We have a ceremony and the captains came up with this. This is back to that culture and climate being from the ground up. In 2013 or so, the captains came to me and said, we love the P3 idea. We love all we're doing, but we need to have some kind of ceremony that goes along with it. It's not quite as fun just to tell them what it means. We have to have a ceremony. So one of the captains got this from the Girl Scouts that she was in. They have what they call the candle ceremony. And again, going back to being a good thief. The candle ceremony, when the scouts are getting their gold award, previous Girl Scouts that have, and I don't know if this is a national thing or a local thing, but previous Girl Scouts that have received the gold award come back 
and they have a candle and they light the new gold award winner's candle. And that's them passing the, the torch of sort of community service to them. She brought that to my attention. I was like, you know what? That's a really good idea. So what we do each year, have that candle ceremony where the P3 symbol is being passed from the captains to everyone who's new. And then we put these candles in the glass container and they melt and they become one layer. And that symbolism to me as an English teacher was fantastic because now each year when those candles melt, now the new players have become part of this P3 tradition and they now understand what that P3 means and that the candle holder ha now has layers. I'm gonna bring it to Philadelphia with me and show people, but it now has layers of candles for all the years when we've done this. And now all the girls are a part of our program through the ceremony. So that's another way to sort of reestablish the cultural idea. Incredible. Harut Hakopian is approximately three months away from getting his doctoral degree in leadership and learning and organizations from Vanderbilt. And he's less than 10 months away from a very esteemed presentation on creating culture and climate. Final word, Harut, on both receiving that doctorate and presenting in January. I'm really excited to share the sort of scholarship that I've gone through in the last three years. If you would have told me three years ago in 2019 when I started the Vanderbilt doctoral program that I would be sort of creating uh, a dissertation or research that's gonna wind up being well over 150 pages long and has about seven or eight pages of research that goes along with it, I probably would have laughed, but it's been fascinating to get into the psychology of how organizations, how groups of people work, how we can be more inclusive, how we can be more equitable, at every single level at which we work. The idea that I can now give some information and some knowledge back to the coaches and back to the organization that has been so instrumental in getting to this point. Because I'll be quite honest with you, if I don't have the interactions with Anton Dorrance and Tony DiGico and Dr. Colleen Hacker, that seed is not planted. And I don't know if I would have been like, hey, leadership in organizations and learning in organizations, that's fascinating. Let me jump on that wagon and see where it takes me. United Soccer has been instrumental in getting me to where I am, and I'm looking forward to giving some of that back in Philadelphia. You are off the top. Coming up, we have a couple longtime high school coaches in the Tampa area that John Mayer, I know another guy that you respect greatly, who's been the awards chair for United Soccer Coaches, has also put on this week's show. They created the Tampa Top 10 and a Champions League for high school soccer. Knowing that you've been a 30-year high school coach, just a quick note on our guests that are coming up that have made high school soccer such a big thing in the state of Florida. So let me give you a quick story about John. And I've worked with John ever since I've been involved. I've done All-America registration for God knows how long when Jeff Farnsworth originally was doing, he was the awards chair and pulled me into helping with that. John Mayer is one of the most knowledgeable coaches of high school sports, not just soccer. He is a encyclopedia of soccer. He's probably forgotten more than I'll ever know about soccer, but just high school sports. Anything that I have questions about as far as high school sports are concerned, I can text John or pick up the phone. And if he doesn't know the answer, he knows someone that does. The fact that he's involved in doing that speaks volumes. It's the sort of seal of approval for anything that is happening. And again, be a good thief. 
steal some of his ideas and take it to your state. I guarantee you it'll work. And Harut, in typical John Mayer fashion, he is in the background behind the curtains as he introduces me to Jim Hart, a high school coach in Florida for more than 40 years who has won numerous state titles, and David Wilson, who's also been coaching for years and jumped in when Jim Hart stepped out a couple years ago after starting the Tampa Bay Top 10 and the Champions League for high school boys and now high school girls. An amazing conversation that John Mayer put together with Jim Hart and David Wilson. I'll speak to Coach Hart and Coach Wilson when we return to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by League Apps. Harut, congratulations on getting your doctorate, and we'll see you in Philadelphia at the convention. Thank you, Dean. It was wonderful. United Soccer Coaches would like to thank all 2022 convention attendees, exhibitors, presenters, and volunteers for reuniting in Kansas City. You can relive all of the special moments from the awards banquet and All-America ceremony and reception by watching the recordings now available on unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. Remember to save the date for the 2023 convention in Philadelphia, January 11 through 15, 2023. Does it feel like all you're doing to manage your team, club, or league is busy work? If so, League Apps can help you get back to doing what you love, delivering a powerful yet simple youth sports management platform from robust registration and payment tools to automated communications and other software integrations. League Apps saves you time and headaches. Less busy work, more time doing what you love. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. As you heard me talk in the open, I am super excited to talk about the Tampa Bay Top 10, the Champions League they've created, the 12th player scholarship, and reminding you, I was super excited because it's high school soccer, and you know how I feel about high school soccer. The state of Florida has long been a mecca for soccer at all levels. Mecca for youth soccer, a mecca for college soccer, even pro soccer. We saw the U.S. national team there on Sunday, but it's also been a mecca for high school soccer. And then when you look in the Tampa Bay area, they've created this Tampa Bay Top 10. There's cool videos on that. We'll have more on that. They've created the Champions League, again, for high school soccer. They've created the 12th player scholarship. We'll learn more about that as a way of opening the door to how we got here. He doesn't seek the attention, but John Mayer, who has been the longtime awards committee chair for United Soccer Coaches and the high school girls All-American chair. He had a great career as a high school coach in Pace Academy in Atlanta, then moved to Florida where he ran into these incredible people if he didn't run into them before. Who are these incredible people? Well, there's two of them on today. Jim Hart, he has been a high school and youth coach in Florida for more than 40 years, most of the time with Clearwater Central Catholic High School, where he won six state champs and almost three others losing in the final game. They were one time the number one team in the country as ranked by United Soccer Coaches after the winter season in 1991. He also spent successful time at Carrollwood Day School. He's an accomplished coach, and as I mentioned, won numerous state championships. He came up with the idea of ranking the high school teams in the Tampa Bay area for exposure and then added pool play championship series. Just recently, they retired 39 years, an elementary PE teacher, even the great Tom Fleck, which is a name that resonates across United Soccer Coaches, 
is tight with Jim Hart. Jim, welcome to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. Thanks so much, Dean. We're so, so excited to be here. And then also David Wilson, who's been coaching for years and jumped in when Jim had to back out of coaching a couple years ago. David's school is in Pasco County, probably one of the most competitive high school soccer counties in the state. And his Wiregrass Ranch high school teams are always vying for regional and state championships. He has developed a website, and it has been a huge success for folks to follow high school soccer. He runs the website, the rankings, and just two weeks ago, he had the drawing for next year's four pools of four teams for the Champions League Series for boys and girls. He also is an athletic director and a soccer coach. Coach Wilson, Mr. Wilson, welcome to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. Thanks for having me here, too. And my dad's still alive, so he's Mr. Wilson still, and I still go with <laughs> Coach Wilson as much as I can. And I told my wife recently that our grandchildren have to call me coach, and she said no, but <laughs> welcome anyway. All right, well, I'll go with coach as well. Jim and David, delighted to be with you. Look, we need to get into a lot. We need to talk about the Tampa Bay Top Ten. We need to talk about the Champions League, the 12-player scholarship, and our future plans. But I think right off the top, we need to talk about the importance of high school soccer. I'm proud to say that both my kids were basketball players, but they also played high school soccer. And they ranked that right up there with the time they had making all league in basketball just because of the camaraderie. So, Jim, we'll start with you and then we'll go to Coach Wilson just to talk about the importance of high school soccer, because I think in today's world, sometimes people don't realize how important it is. Dean, I could not agree more. High school soccer is one of those things that just won't go away, will it? High school soccer is so important. Last week, you had the podcast about the 21st century vision for soccer. You had Alexi Lalas and Taylor Twelman. Alexi said, what about the other 22.5 hours of the day? other than the 90 minutes where the game is being played. Not that the 90 minutes the game is being played isn't important for high school soccer. It absolutely is. But high school soccer is a holistic thing. It's about the kid. It's about the player. It's about the family. That's important. Taylor said something that really resonated with me was in college soccer, we're going to have maybe 50 kids are going to move on to the next level. What about the other 4,950 kids? What about them? Are we setting something up just for 50 people? No, it's an extension of school. It's an extension of the education. Therefore, high school soccer coaches are quote unquote teachers and they have an important role to play as teachers. Now, teachers are supposed to be good at what they do. So you hope a math teacher is good at math, right? So you hope a soccer coach is good at soccer. And there are so many soccer coaches that are good at soccer. They're licensed. You watch them run their programs and some of the college coaches could take note. They really do an excellent job. But in the end, it's about the kid. It's about the athlete. And that's what we love about high school soccer. David Wilson, I know he feels the same way. Well, and we'll let Coach Wilson talk about the importance of high school soccer. Take it away, Coach. And I was fortunate enough to play collegiate soccer and play in a Final Four, NCAA Final Four, and coached collegiately for seven years at Binghamton University. And coming back to high school after that, the one thing I decided was, and our whole principles here are that the uh, experience has to outweigh the outcome, right? So we want to win a state championship, but if getting there, the experience isn't worth doing, it isn't something that you're going to look back 10 years from now at, then why are we doing it? We look at things in a different way than a lot of people do here, that I want our kids to come back and talk about all the great things, whether it's a bus ride, it's whether practice, the locker room, all the other things, going out to eat. And we've been very fortunate, and Jim is the same here, that 
our kids come back and their best memories of soccer aren't playing club soccer. They're not going to South Carolina for a showcase. It's playing in front of their school, wearing their school name across their jersey, dressing up for school so everybody knows that they have a game that day. Those experiences make life you know, better. Jim's goal and my goal have never changed from anything. It's about the kids and making things better for them and bringing experience to them that they're not going to get otherwise. So let's dive in here. As I said a lot in the open, we've got the Tampa Bay top 10, we've got the Champions League, we've got the 12th player scholarship, and we've got future plans. So we kind of need to knock out each one. One thing I understand is this will be the fifth year for the boys, the first year for the girls. Let's learn how this was started. Who was in the room? How did you draw it up? The Tampa Bay top 10 and how did it evolve? Dean, it started late in my career. I was at Carrollwood Day School coming to the end, but I was looking for a way for our program. We had a small private school. I was looking for a way for our program to be compared favorably or unfavorably to some of the bigger programs in the area. You know, schedules are such, if you study people's high school soccer schedules, they pretty much play the same teams each year, kind of by tradition. Maybe they're in a conference with them. Maybe they're in the same district, but there are teams that are near to each other, but for some reason, they just never play each other. Right. And sometimes it has to do with the size of the school. We had a good program, but I felt we had no real way to show Tampa Bay that we had a good program, unless something came up, right? To go along with that, the media coverage has dropped off as time has gone on for high school soccer, which it is what it is. So think about this. If the media won't cover us, we'll cover ourselves. How about that, right? So that idea, Rob Nugent, who is not in this podcast, uh, was a big part of this. Rob is, is my stepson. So he was that, quote, guy in the room, unquote, when it all kind of started. We thought, okay, how do we cover ourselves? Well, we can get a Facebook page. Okay, now we have a Facebook page. Now what? We have to have something to cover. Why don't we just ask coaches, who do you think the best teams are once a week? Anybody can vote. There's no gilded, you know, group of voters. It's open to anybody. Just whoever you think the best teams are, send them in by Sunday and we'll collate that and we'll print it on the Facebook page. So now we're covering our own news that we've created and it's real simple to do. So that's kind of how it started. David was one of the first people to jump right in and immediately get this and become one of the voters of all the polls and jumping in with all sorts of input and so forth. Of course, to have David on board is fantastic because we can see immediately that he is an old school coach. He gets it. He's the kind of guy you want to hear him talk more, right? But he's an athletic director also. We don't ever see this in high school soccer. Our athletic directors are almost always involved with other sports. So David's involvement was huge to be involved right there. So that's how it began, Dean. It began with how do we cover ourselves? Let's get a Facebook page. Let's ask the coaches to jump in and vote. Let's create news once a week. But then coming back to my initial thing, my team might do well in such a poll. If they do, they do. If they don't, they don't. My team has to gain a reputation. I, I'm not going to tilt the poll in favor of my team. So that's where it all kind of started. When Jim stepped aside um, from Carolwood Day School, he pretty much just said, all right, we've started this stuff. Do you want to run with it? And I was absolutely, I'm, I'm good with that. I, my plate, as Jim knows, is 
pretty full besides being athletic director. I coach a girls golf team and the boys tennis team. And our boys tennis team has won two state championships and the national title and haven't lost in the county since 2010. So it's, it definitely is another job on top. But I was like, all right, my plate, I still have this little room over here. So let's add this to it. So when Jim asked me to do that, I just started contacting coaches weekly and got a list of coaches, send it out and hope for as many as I can. And, and it gets to be where I'm Friday of each week, I'm sending text messages and emails out and said, hey, make sure you get your votes in by Sunday at six o'clock. But we didn't want the coaches to have to do too much work either with, you know, they just know the teams that they're playing against. So now I send them a list of the teams, top 30 teams in the area and say, okay, these are the top 30 teams. This is what they did this past week. This is what their record is now. This is what their max prep strength schedule is to give them as much information to make a good one through 10 for them. They actually pick 15, one through 15 for them so that they can vote with having some knowledge to be able to do that. And they seem to like the fact that they don't have to work very hard to do it. It's asking a coach something else to do that their schedule is already full all the time. So we get more votes in as we go. And it is funny to watch some teams, some coaches, all of a sudden their team doesn't do well and they don't vote anymore. But our coaches here in the three county area that includes the Tampa Bay top 10 have been very good about getting stuff in when they need to and whether their team is listed or not. They're pretty honest about their outlook on everything. And, and it really has been beautiful because teams don't care whether you're a 2A school or a 7A school. You know, in Florida, seven classifications, it's the seven being the highest one of the biggest schools, but they look at your body of work. The basic questions people always have is, who's got the best team anyway? Who's got the best team around here, right? Everybody has that question everywhere. How do you know? These teams will never play each other. So it has to be one of those debates like, who's the better boxer, Muhammad Ali or Mike Tyson? You know, you'll never know. They can't ever have a, a match. Well, this is a way to get that match to happen. I think you guys kind of answered the question because originally when you hear top Tampa Bay top 10, I think some people might say, Hey, how many schools I've already heard more than 30. And then immediately coach Wilson jumped in and said, you know, Hey, they're all different levels as well. But essentially what you're telling me to get to this top 10 and then to the champions league, it doesn't matter what level you are. Everybody's included. Do I have that right? Absolutely. Yes. There's about 80 schools, I think, roughly 80 schools in the Tampa Bay area that would be considered high schools playing high school soccer. So that's what we're narrowing it down off of. But people jumped in right away, Dean. People love this idea and just enjoyed it. And I'm guessing the reason they love it is because it leads to something. It leads to the Champions League. Am I reading that right? You are, but the the Champions League didn't start. One came after the other. The first thing was the Tampa Bay Top 10, the coaches poll and the Facebook page. So at the time I was coaching high school, working at a club, West Florida Flames, had my own summer camp, and I was a teacher. So how am I going to do this, right? So I just decided I was going to create time at the beginning of my day. I started waking up a little earlier, and that's the time I devoted to nurturing this little thing in a Petri dish that was kind of growing, this idea. It was successful. People liked it. I didn't know if people would like it or not. David was instrumental in that. Okay, so then, and I can't tell you, Dean, when, but probably when we were watching a Champions League game somewhere, but the idea hit, wait a minute, we have district champions in this state tournament. So the first round of the tournament is districts followed by regionals, followed by final four, right? So the districts yield a champion. Now you have the basis of a champions league for the following year. Kind of ran with that idea, you know, but in the end, the idea is to make it as simple as possible to do something like this. And so the way we did it was, if you were a district champion, 
you were issued an invitation to the Champions League. Now, we had to get a good number for a tournament, so 16 is a good number. We don't have 16 districts in the area, but the Champions League doesn't include only champions. There's second-place teams and, you know, third-place teams. So what the idea became was every district champion will be issued an invitation because they may not accept. They may not want to come to the Champions League. Who knows? We didn't know when this started if anybody would even like this idea, right? But then let's use the poll, the Tampa Bay Top 10 poll, to fill out the 16. Always there's going to be some really good team that gets upset in the district final, right? This is always happening. So let's just find those teams that didn't make it into the 16s by winning district, fill out the 16, but do it in an orderly fashion, mathematically go down the pole. There's no favoritism or anything like that. Well, David, what David's taken it to is brilliantly is he's using the Max Preps state poll for all schools. Max Preps has classification polls, but also one poll for the whole state. David runs the Champions League now. He goes down the list and looks for teams that aren't in the Champions League yet. He finds one, issues an invitation. They say yes, they say no, and you just keep working down the list until you have 16. David, has anybody ever turned down an invitation to the Champions League? The very first year we did it, like Jim said, we didn't know whether people were going to buy into it, whether they're going to like it, whether they're not going to like it. We had only 12 teams the first year that we did it. We didn't have 16 teams, but that was the best we could get out of the people that said, all right, we're in. It's going to give us three more games. We're in. We'll do it. We don't really care who we're playing. So we went through some growing pains in that first year. And then all of a sudden it became like, wait, what is this Champions League? And, you know, other schools that started to hear more about it and wanted to be in. This current year, when we sent out invitations, we had 12 district champions. We had 12 district invitations go out. All 12 of them accepted immediately. And then it was a battle with teams saying, hey, can we get on the wait list if someone drops out? And we went through the max rep rankings after regionals were completed and selected the next four in line there to, to fill out our pool but we could have had 30 teams this year if we wanted to with the number of people that are interested now in, in joining the champions league so it's gone from being like all right it's something we're going to try let's see how it goes to being everybody wants in before we move on to the 12th player scholarship i also understand that the winner of the champions league gets a very special trophy david i'll let you talk about that when jim passed this all over to me i decided that we were going to have to have a trophy and the, the trophy is passed from school to school each year and it's a big cup on the top of it and and I decided that first year to recognize the person that started the Tampa Bay top 10 and also for his his dedication to high school sports so the boys trophy is called the Jim Hart trophy the girls trophy we um, have already named to um, named it after Vicki King who is a current coach at Land Lakes High School but a 37 year high school coach state championships always in the running final four for the state title. And um, so the girls trophy will be called the Vicky King trophy. Jim, how about a short answer on what it means to have your name on this trophy? When David told me this, I almost started crying. I did start crying actually. It's just everything. It's, it's what you were. It's just, it's just uh, great. I mean, I can't explain it, but it is so cool. It's just so cool makes you feel good uh and then there's the rick macy trophy which which is uh goes to the mvp of the champions league final so rick macy's a, a, a another local coach that's done great rick macy is retired and john and me were the committee that picked the 12th player scholarship this year and david did such an awesome job he solicited essays from the coaches 
And then he sent the essays to us, but without the name of the player or the name of the school, just the essay. And we had to work through the essays and John and Rick Macy and, and myself had to come up with a winner based on that. So Rick Macy is another one. He's got a trophy. That's why I brought his name up. And we're just about high school, old school stuff. You know, love that. Love being able to be associated with that. So let's do some history here. I mentioned this will be the fifth boys Tampa Bay Top 10 Champions League. And it'll be the first ever girls Tampa Bay Top 10 Champions League. So do you guys remember who won the first four for the boys? And then can you talk about why it took a little bit longer to do the same thing for the girls? I can definitely answer those questions. The nice thing, as we said before, that it it takes teams from all different levels because a district, you may be a 2A district champion or a 7A district champion. So that it puts all the different classifications in one Champions League there. So far in the first four years, we've had a 7A champion, which is Eastlake. Jesuit has won it twice, which they're a 5A team. And this past year, Tempe Prep won, which is a 3A. Took longer to get the girls started. Number one, I think that they needed to buy in and see how it worked. The girls, for some reason, are very much pro-club, where the kids are more pro-club than they were the high school boys now. They've skipped club stuff to go to Champions League stuff now, which is amazing to see, which I really enjoy watching. But the girls took a little longer. The second thing is, financially, we were doing it you know, out of our own pockets. Pretty much I was paying for whatever needed to be paid for when we started this. And if it wasn't for Jim coming in and, and having some wonderful people um, like the Peak family that we're going to talk about for the 12th Man Scholarship to come in and Loki, all of a sudden now we have some funding that it's my wife will let me do something else instead of taking out of my own pocket now to start these things and get them going. The support that we've gotten financially has enabled us to be able to add something more without it killing my teaching salary. David didn't tell anybody that he was reaching into his own pocket. David told everybody, oh yeah, gate receipts, covering all the expenses, no problem. Nobody really took the time to parse the words of what he was exactly saying, but he let on that I'm not reaching in my own pocket. Don't worry about it. He let, he, at least people drew that impression. It took a couple of years before I really knew that David was funding the thing personally out of his own teaching salary. So, so that's really a big part. And it's a big motivator for me as well, because one of the things that I set as a goal was to say, David should never have a penny that he pays for this. One way to do that is to talk to people. One cool thing is when you explain this Champions League to people who have played high school soccer, and especially people who may have played it, say, 20 years ago, and are now out there in the work world and they're doing well, they love it. They think it's great and they're ripe to support it. And so we've gotten some really good support. David mentioned the Peak family. That's P-E-E-K, Peak. The Peak family happened to have a boy that played on one of my teams at Carrollwood Day School. Due to uh, an unfortunate car accident, he almost lost his life, but he did a miraculous comeback to athletics, even though he had 17 broken bones in his body. And High school athletics were a major, major part of that. Dan Peake himself was, even though he's a busy guy, was also a volunteer football coach. And so he gets it. He gets high school sports. And he was there for the beginning of all of these talks, you know, before Champions League became anything. Dan was one of the guys I said, what do you think about this? Give some feedback. So he loved it from the beginning. Well, once we got up and going, Dan decided that he wanted to fund something in the Champions League. He didn't know what, but he wanted to put money into it, right? Actually, at the very beginning, we talked about scholarships, but we hadn't gotten them going yet. And David wanted that to be a focus for this past year. 
Well, it all kind of came together. Dan said, I'll fund the scholarship. David said, how about we make the scholarship about the player who's the heart and soul of the team, the 12th man. And that's where the 12th man idea came from, right out of David's head. Dan loves it. Dan, I have this quote from Dan, the world needs more 12th men. I'm in. And he funded the scholarship for five years. So we have a $2,500 scholarship for the next five years on the boys' side. We asked Dan, can we call it the Peak Family Scholarship? He said, sure, go ahead and use my name. They were there for the handing out of that first scholarship this past year at uh, the Champions League final at Jesuit High School. And, And then they, the Peak Family, once we've gotten the girls going, has said, we will also fund five years for the girls. So they doubled their commitment. Now, as far as the girls getting started early, we didn't know if anybody would even like this idea. We were in a mode at the beginning of trying to kind of like a sales mode. Hey, what do you think about this, guys? Let's try it. So at that point, it was a question of letting the girls coaches know what we were doing. Was there any way we could help? Let us know. And it kind of had some stops and starts on the girls side. But David and I are both just boys coaches. I'm a gym teacher. David's an athletic director. We're just two guys trying to coach our teams and run our programs, not trying to remake Tampa Bay soccer or anything like that. But as it's gotten better and better, people have said, what about the girls? What about the girls? So I've begun to go to former players. David has an amazing network of former players. I've coached for so many years, 40 years, and talked to them about what we're doing and ask what they think about it and would they like to support it? Well, one of them, he he runs a a firm called Loci Investments here in Tampa. He said, yes, I will fund this. He said, but there needs to be a girls' champions league. That needs to be rectified. That was his his quote. Okay. We said, okay, let's do it. It's almost one of these kind of things, Dean, where we're boys coaches. It's not really our place to jump on the girls' side and do something. It's really, it wasn't our place to do that at the beginning, right? But now that it's become something, it almost becomes like, wait a minute, the girls are being left out. Well, now our posture is different. Our posture is no way. We don't leave people out. That's not what we do. So now it's easier for us to to be involved on the girl's side. And plus our major sponsor, that's what he said needs to be rectified. So that's where the girls' involvement came from. Well, and that's the world we live in today where we try to make sure that uh, we're equal all the way across the board. This is incredible as I love high school soccer. I know you guys love high school soccer. United Soccer Coaches, which we'll get to a little bit later, has always supported high school soccer. In fact, it's worth mentioning that when you look at the numbers for United Soccer Coaches, youth and high school make up a great majority, even though we spend a lot of time talking about college soccer, pro soccer, and U.S. soccer. It's the Tampa Bay Top 10, the Champions League. I do want to get Coach Wilson a chance to talk about the 12th player scholarship a little bit more. I thought Jim did a great job, but I mean, it's just another wonderful, endearing element of what is going on here. And I look at that all the time. And I've had kids that are my best alumnus from even from college, from when I was at Binghamton or St. Leo University. Some of those kids that were my hardest working kids that are still the most loyal kids that I have was that kid that didn't play all the time. You know, that was a kid that came to practice every day and made everybody else better. It made everybody else life better, not just the soccer field. Having the 12th minute scholarship 
was something that was really important to me to honor that kid, to recognize that kid that makes a difference. So what we did is we had each coach that was in the Champions League nominate one of their players and they would write a description about why that person should be accepted as, you know, picked as the person for the scholarship. All the stuff came to me. I took out all the names and school information so that the committee that was going to read them wouldn't have a bias to say, hey, this is a Jesuit kid or a Tampa Prep kid or a Wiregrass kid or wherever. They didn't know where they were coming from. They were just going based off the information that was written for them about this person and why they were deserving of it. I was really super excited to actually, the first recipient was a boy named Juan Montiel and Juan ended up being one of my own players. So it turned out wonderful. And that the fact that I knew that I wasn't on the committee, so I wasn't the one of the ones that selected him and all this stuff was taken out. So I knew it wasn't based on anything there. But Juan was a kid that I was going to cut from the team. He came to us as a junior halfway through the year, played JV for his junior year, and I was going to cut him. And my senior captains came to me and said, Coach, you got to keep him. He's better than you think he is. He works hard. He'll never let you down. He'll give you whatever he wants, even if he never plays a second. And these kids really came to his side and said, hey, we want this kid on the team. So I said, all right. Well, by halfway through the season, Juan was our first sub off the bench, and then he became a starter for me and had a phenomenal year for us. But I, like, he was a kid that I wasn't going to keep, and he proved me wrong, and he, he worked every day to, to make us better. Our team had a phenomenal year, won 20 games again this year, and he was a huge part of it. So it was a great recipient to get first one. We're talking high school soccer, specifically high school soccer in Florida, more specifically high school soccer in the greater Tampa Bay area where they've created this Tampa Bay top 10, the Champions League within high school, the 12th player scholarship, which we just covered. And I also want to learn about the future plans. I do have one more question about the Champions League before we move into future plans. And then I want to promote and then I want to bring United Soccer Coaches back into it. That's the plan as we wrap down our time. But logistically, how does it work within your regular season schedules and how do you get these games in for the Champion League? How does all that work? We tell the coaches ahead of time, all right, these are the, the dates that we're going to play on. Fortunately, because we do the draw for the Champions League, which we've, we've done already, and we have the schedule set, the coaches can block them out before they schedule other games, whether they're their season or whether it's and you no longer in Florida have to play a district game, so you don't have to wait for a district schedule to come out anymore. You can schedule those whenever you want to. So we set the dates, and originally we set them for on Tuesdays. The, the boys' games are going to be, and the girls' games will be on the Wednesdays. Well, we do have a couple situations that happen where we have a couple of the Catholic schools, and on Wednesdays, uh, or Christian schools on Wednesdays, they have different services and things on Wednesdays. So we've had to shuffle around a little bit, move those games to Tuesday. But the, the schedule set saying, okay, you know, you're playing on the November 15th, 29th, and December 6th are the, are the game set. Now, if a school needs to switch a date because of a conflict, as long as they're done before December 10th, they can switch those games. Or if they want to add a JV to it and want to change the time, some we're great with that as well. So putting them out there early enough that and before anybody else does anything with their schedule made it pretty easy for us to do. Now, these games are three games that are just in their regular season. They count toward their schedule, it counts toward their strength of schedule and their, their seedings for districts later on in the year. Right now, you're seeding based on your strength of schedule partly. So everybody wants to be in the Champions League because it helps their strength of schedule, you know, playing teams that are really good all the time. Besides the other things that come along with it, I guess, too. Teams have jumped in and said, all right, yep, we got these dates. We got them scheduled. 
I need to move this one because of one thing. They call me and I just say, okay, move the date. We're good. And then uh, we go from there. But back in the beginning, Dean, it was like, okay, this is a cool idea, but then you come to that logistical question. How do you make this happen? Well, what we sort of thought was it's got to be made as easy as possible to participate in. This has got to be made simple. Well, everybody's got to play somebody. Everybody's got to play a schedule. Right. So if you know who who your Champions League opponents are early enough, you can just put them on your schedule. Who gets to be the home team? Well, the higher seeded team gets to be the home team. So how do we know who's in your group? We have a draw. We've had draws. Neil Collins, head coach of the Tampa Bay Rowdies, is a big part of this part of it, by the way. So we've had a, a draw. A couple of them have been celebrity draws. The first draw was all set up to have both Neil and Joe Cole doing the draw, but that didn't happen for whatever reason. That that logistically, that fell apart, and then Joe had to leave and go back to England. But Neil, he was my assistant coach at Carrollwood Day School, my last year of coaching, and then he went on to take, a, take the job at the Rowdies. So we have a good connection with Neil, and Neil sees high school soccer. He gets it. Now, he's gotten it already, you know, in his upbringing, he, Neil was always the, the guy who had to take the long way around to get in, right? He never had a protected corridor. So he saw it and he's been supporting it. When it came time to have a draw, it was like, okay, who's going to do the draw? How about we get Neil? And Neil's like, sure, I'll come in and do the draw. We did our first draw. And then the most recent one, which we just sent you the video of, which was really well put together. But the bottom line is we do the draw. You get in a group of four. Now you know you have three teams to play against. You know the seeding based on the previous finish in the poll from the previous year. So you have a seeding, right? The fourth seed plays three road games. The third seed plays one home game and two road games and so forth and so on. And the first seed plays three home games. And then in that first year, it was like, okay, somehow before the end of the year, get you, get these games played. But David has worked it to right now, Dean, we have match day one, match day two, match day three. David does such an amazing job of organizing it, setting it up, sending out blurbs to everybody. Match day one is coming. You know, here are the key matchups. You know, he could work in your industry easily. <laughs> uh, so once you get that draw, well, eventually somebody's going to win the group and you've got to have a final four, right? So again, our thought was always, let's try to make the smallest footprint possible to not give anybody a chance to say, oh, no, no, you can't do that. We've had in the past and this past one, the final four and the final on the same day on a Saturday. We had this past one, the Jesuit High School. And by the way, who hosts the final? Well, David Wiregrass Ranch hosted the first final. Carrollwood Day School was going to host the first final, but I resigned from Carrollwood Day School. So now the Champions League didn't have a home until David stepped in and gave it a home. But then the defending champion then has the right to host the final, right? So now that you have defending champions, but one other cool thing David did was the second Champions League final was held at St. Leo College to give it more of an upscale college feel. Now, the girls' side is a different story since this is the first year. Most likely that will be at Wiregrass Ranch this year just because I can have the facility here and I can use it <laughs> the first year until we get a champion. It helps so, to know the athletic director. Amen. 
So great to kick off this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps talking high school soccer, specifically talking about the Tampa Bay Top 10, the amazing Champions League that they've created almost in unison with their regular season, tying it in where Champions League games actually count as regular season games. I found that fascinating. The 12th player scholarship, impossible not to tip your hat to that. The fact that you've opened the doors to girls as well. And I can tell that Jim has listened to my podcast because I'm all about dropping names and Jim, you've done an amazing job dropping multiple names because it takes a village to do everything. And I think that's how, in fact, United Soccer Coaches is built on that village with great people like John Mayer. I got to drop three more names. Okay. Lucky M. Kosana of the Rowdies. Lucky M. Kosana. He is the guy Neil brings off the bench. He, he isn't a starter. I know Lucky. He, yep. Okay. He was part of our draw because he's a 12th man. It aligns. And then Robin Confer, Rock and Robin Confer, who played for the U.S., played for North Carolina. Her jersey is retired alongside Mia Hams. She flew down from Georgia to do the girls' draw, to do the first girls' draw. But Robin was in my first and second grade PE classes way back in the day. And these kind of connections, David has these kinds of connections, all inside and outside of soccer. This is something school does, right? And then Sue Pete who just resigned after a 40-year amazing coaching career down here. So Sue and Robin gave respect to the first girls draw by being the ones that showed up to do it. Those are all names worth dropping. And I know Miss Confer as well, living here in Chapel Hill and having covered the UNC women's team for a long time. All right, so future plans for the Tampa Bay top 10 girls and boys and also the Champions League. Future plans both of you guys have an opportunity to answer that question. I'll go first, Jim, and then you jump in with other stuff. We're always looking for things to promote high school soccer. Um, but one of my next avenues that, that I am looking to push is, and all right, so now we're going out and we're, we're representing for high school soccer. We're giving scholarships to high school soccer. What we're not doing now is honoring some of the people that have made high school soccer what it is and, and makes it great for those coaches that do above and beyond what we ask a coach to do. So one of my next things that I'm pushing is to start doing an award basically for, for a high school coach that does above and beyond, all right? That doesn't just start October 16th at the first day of the season in Florida and finishes January 31st, all right? That guy that drives the kids home if they need them, you know, that's there for the kid all the time that, that will come in extra hours for people that will do whatever they have to do to help kids have a better life, basically. In communication right now with a couple places that are looking to actually fund a award for coaches where we'll take, you know, five, six, seven, whatever numbers we get funded for that we can walk into their school, like on a Tuesday morning at eight o'clock in the morning and present them with a big check for the Bill Smith uh, above and beyond award or whatever else. So I want to do that. And with connection with that, Jim and I are talking about doing a hall of fame, have a day that we do like a coaches clinic for the Tampa Bay top 10 coaches clinic, and then do a hall of fame dinner. So we can start recognizing some of the people that have done so much for high school soccer. Those are definitely two areas that I'm looking to promote from here besides just continuing to make the Champions League better and better. With the funding that we have now, the schools that play in it, if they play a home game, 
their their games are covered by the Tampa Bay Top Ten, the funds to pay for the official who pay for. So it doesn't come out of their school budgets any longer to, to have to do that stuff. So with the more funding we get, the more things we can do as we go. But it's gotten to where we started off with going, I don't know if this is going to work, to where, all right, where can we go? It's been great. What we're doing is sort of creating a sort of a structure here that's going to allow us to run the Tampa Bay Top 10 Champions League and the poll and the other things, the scholarship and some of the other things that we're going to get into. But we want to share that idea with people. We don't necessarily want to sell that idea to people because it's just a great idea. People take it and run with it. However, due to the fact that we have set up this sort of infrastructure now, and it's constantly getting better between social media, the website, the way we run things. And I know that at some stage, wouldn't it be cool for David, for example, if this could be what he does? And this, by the way, Champions League isn't limited to soccer. It's limited to any team, any sport that has a state championship, that has a first round of the state championship, right? So what we're saying is take the idea and run with it. But if you can't run with it, call us up and we'll help you with it. That's one thing. And what I'm spending a lot of my time now is I'm out there sort of out on the side. David runs the thing and I'm out on the side on the periphery supporting it. And I'm trying to raise money and push ideas. Like David said to me just recently, Jim, I want you to put your focus on a hall of fame. There should be a hall of fame. And every area has those older guys that, uh, you know, quietly did their work and never drew attention to themselves. And now they're retired, uh, but also players. This takes to another point, uh, Dean, about high school soccer and its importance and the Champions League, League's importance. Youth soccer is for people who can afford it. What about kids who can't afford it, right? High school soccer is it. That's their thing. That's the biggest thing they have, right? So what about a great high school soccer player who that's what they did? Maybe they played a couple of other sports and that's it. Well, they're not going to get their recognition through the soccer world as it's currently set up necessarily. Wouldn't it be great if there was a Tampa Bay top 10 hall of fame to note those people, right? The other idea, uh, in addition to, to David's coach who makes a difference. And one of the things David does a great job of is Jim, we can only do one thing at a time, right? So he's a, he, he's a good director of all this, but an, another idea that we like is this idea of internships. So here's the idea. We have all these kids that have played high school soccer. They're all out there working, owning businesses, doing whatever they're doing, being important people in the world, right? What if the Tampa Bay top 10 was able to raise money for a pool of money for paid internships? So the idea being, we go to some of these people that have played soccer or, or any sport, and we say, hey, would you take a kid for two weeks or three weeks in the summer? And just take them on your hip and teach them what your business is about. And so you don't have to do anything. They don't have to run through human resources. You don't have to pay them. Just let them show up at your work and talk to them. Let them talk to your people, right? Wouldn't that be valuable, right? Well, it would be, I think. And, and everybody I talk to agrees with that. And so then on the backside, what we do is if we raise money and create an endowment for this, then we can pay the kid as though it's like, a part, part of a summer job. So we say to the kid, here's, here's $500 or here's a thousand dollars, whatever, you know, however we set it up, there's where you go to work. 
you meet this person, you go for these days, you know, and at the end, we're going to get a report from that person. If, and if you show up every day and you do a good job, then this is what you're going to get. So that's a really cool idea that, that we're, and it brings people back in, right. That have, that have really gotten something out of soccer or, you know, high school sports in general, but it brings them back in. That idea and every idea associated with the Tampa Bay top 10, the champions league is beyond cool. It's fascinating. And I love the fact that you already mentioned that, other sports might want to be involved. Before I ask my final question about United Soccer Coaches, just real quickly, where can people find, particularly the two of you, give me the Facebook, let me know how people can reach you because I think those that are in high school soccer, and again, that is a big majority, a big part of United Soccer Coaches, they're going to want to know more about this. Where can they find you guys? The new webpage that we have is Tampa Bay Top 10, and 10 is written out 10, not the number. TempeTop10.com. On the Facebook page, it's the same thing as the Tempe Top 10 Facebook page. The Instagram and Twitter accounts, Tampa Bay Top 10. As we close out, again, you talk about people that don't want the attention. We're not here without John Mayer, the longtime chair of the awards committee for United Soccer Coaches, who lives in Florida, who has always appreciated the values of high school soccer. So you think about United Soccer Coaches and what they've meant to you and your development and even their awareness of this and giving you this platform. We thought it was 30 minutes. It was well worth the over an hour that we spent with you two fine gentlemen, well worth it. And then beyond, and we'll probably have you back at some point as well, particularly I, I'm really interested in seeing how the girls champions league goes, but you know, we'll start with you, coach Wilson. What has United soccer coaches meant to you as we wrap up this amazing hour? It's huge. It's like I said before, we want to recognize, you know, coaches and kids as much as we can. And I got more involved with the United Soccer Coaches because I wanted to represent, you know, to showcase my own players. So whether it was with um, getting into a high school American type things, and I've had two of them since I've I've been coaching here, but it just how they reach out to kids and and their whole goal to me seems to, hey, what can we do for kids? They do a valuable job that we can't, you know, we can't do. Jim and I can do the Tampa Bay area. Mm -hmm. All right, but you guys do the country, so that's that's it's wonderful. I joined the NSCAA back in the 80s. Uh, the NSCAA pushed me on to my coaching licenses and uh, and all the stuff that I did back then, and meeting people and getting to know people like Dr. Fleck, for example, who anybody that that knows him is going to know that there's 10,000 people like this where he tapped them on the shoulder and said, Hey, son come on over here. Let me tell you about this. You're doing a good job, whatever. A young version of me. And I'm thinking, why is he talking to me? I'm just a kid. I don't know anything. Well, you know, he, he's, he's the one that pushed me to, to NSCAA, that pushed me to into all of this. The alignment between soccer and education, the whole approach. I've had coaches like Jim Lennox, when I did the advanced national diploma in 1986, Jim Lennox getting in deep in his head and hearing Ralph Lundy, people like this, these, you know, this is the place where you get exposed to those people and you get formed as a youngster. That's what it's meant to me. I do find it interesting, David, that uh, Jim thinks that you're the one that 
could take over my job. I think Jim Hart could easily <laughs> take over my job. He was made for it as well. This has simply been incredible talking high school soccer. And I love that we're talking it right now. MLS has started NWSL has started. Looks like the U S national team is going to get back to the world cup, but yet we still remember the importance of high school soccer as we dedicate the majority of this week's show to the Tampa Bay top 10, the champions league that they've created. It is beyond unbelievable. The 12th player scholarship also recognizing coaches, adding women. As you heard, you can learn more by going to Facebook, Google Tampa Bay Top 10, and you are off and running. Coach Wilson, Coach Hart, and John Mayer as well. Thank you so much, guys, for being a part of this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. How about that? During one of the busiest times of soccer in our country, the entire show dedicated to high school soccer. I want to thank Harut Hakopian for kicking off the show. Then I want to thank John Mayer for bringing us our last two guests, talking about the Tampa Bay Top 10 and the Champions League they've created within the high school circuit in the Tampa Bay area. For all of our guests and each and every one of you, as well as our producer, Colin Thrash, the great people at United Soccer Coaches like Bailey Conklin and Brandon Milburn, I'm Dean Linky. We'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. Thanks for listening to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. To learn more about League Apps, find them at leagueapps.com or as League Apps on all of the social networks. And to learn more about United Soccer Coaches, visit us at unitedsoccercoaches.org.